Okay, let's pray. Ask God to meet us as we open up his word. Lord, thank you for Hebrews 5. You know this was a hard passage for me to figure out. And uh, thank you, Father, for your grace and for so encouraging me through this passage. And Lord, I pray, I plead with you that you would help me to communicate it clearly. And I pray that each of us would see more clearly than ever before what it means that you are our great high priest, our perfect high priest, Jesus Christ. So would you come and work with power now through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. It is so good to be back in Hebrews. We, I love the Christmas season, love studying about Jesus' birth, but Hebrews 5, I'm loving Hebrews, we're back into it. We're going to keep going probably through the summer, see how long this takes, working through it verse by verse. So if you need a Bible, as we always say, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, we got more. I know we've been running out of Bibles lately, which is a good thing, but we got more. So oh, raise your hand. We want everyone to have a Bible that you can look on with. We're going to study this passage verse by verse. We're passionate here at Mercy Hill Church about studying the scriptures. So you want to have a Bible in front of you or a little, you know, the little phone thing people are using, I guess that we know you're not texting. You're really reading the Bible. We know that's what you're doing. All right. Uh, page 1003 in the Bibles we just passed out is where Hebrews 5 is. So this morning we're going to focus on Hebrews chapter 5 verses 1 through 10, that section right there. And we can see what the main point of verses 1 through 10 is with the very first word in verse 1. It's first the word for, F-O-R. You could also translate it because. And what that verse, what that word shows is that verses 1 through 10, the following verses, in this case it's verses 1 through 10, are giving reasons for the verse that came before us. We've got it up here on the screen. I think we will. Boom, here it comes. There we go. So chapter 5, 1 through 10 gives a reason for what's happening in chapter 4, verse 16. So let's read chapter 4, verse 16 again so that we know the verse that these 10 verses then are arguing for, supporting, and encouraging. Look at verse 16 again. Here's what the author urges us to do. He says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the author wants all of us Come before God's, come to God's throne of grace. His throne, because of Jesus, is a throne of grace. We can come with confidence. And when we do that, we will receive grace. We'll receive mercy to help us in time of need. And so he's motivating us to do that with verses 1 through 10. That's the point of verses 1 through 10. Here's reasons why. Here's encouragement to, to move us to do that. Now, before we look at the reasons, let's get a feel of whether we're obeying verse 16 or not. How are we doing in obeying verse 16? Have you had times this past week where you have been in need and you have come with confidence to the throne of grace and received mercy and, and grace to help you? Have you had time? Let's see a hand raised. Good. So have, have you had time? Just throw out some examples. Let's say, for example, maybe this last week uh, you lost your temper with your, your kids. And, uh, and you were just overwhelmed with guilt after that. So here you are in this time of need. Now, did you, did you, as soon as you could, set everything else aside and, and draw near to God? 
to, to confess this to him and to ask him to cleanse you and to give you fresh assurance of forgiveness? And did, did you experience the Lord pouring out a fresh assurance of forgiveness and he's going to help and he's going to work it out? Did you draw near to the throne of grace if you had a time this last week where you were overwhelmed with guilt about something? Another example, maybe uh, this last week you were facing a decision, tough decision. No option looked great. Weren't sure what to do. So here you are in this quandary trying to figure out what to do. Did you understand that you could come to God, his throne of grace, ask him for help, ask him for mercy? And so you took time just to set everything else aside with prayer and his word to seek him for wisdom. Were you able to draw near to the throne of grace this last week about that decision and receive the grace and the mercy that you needed? One other example. Let's say that this last week, you found yourself uh, just feeling spiritually lifeless. Little love for Christ. Little passion for his word. Little desire to, to pray. Didn't really love God's people. You didn't have any zeal for evangelism. You, you were just spiritually lifeless. Were you able to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence? To come before the Lord, say, help me, look at me, I need you, and experience his grace and his mercy meeting you. So we've all had times this last week where we have had need. And how did we do this last week in drawing near to the throne of grace with confidence? How did we do this last week setting everything else aside and coming before him and meeting him? How did we do? My guess is that most of us did that some, but my guess is that all of us need to do that more. Okay, some, yes, more, definitely. And so that's why it's such great news that this word for is at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 5 because in verses 1 through 10, the author of Hebrews is going to give us motivation, reasons, encouragement, help so that this coming week, when the needs come, we will be quicker to draw near to the throne of grace. So let's dig into what these reasons are in verses 1 through 10. As I studied these verses, I think that what the author is doing is he, the the big picture is he's showing us that Jesus is our high priest. And he does that by asking and answering two crucial questions. And the first one he asks is, why do we need a high priest? And he answers that in verses 1 through 4. And what he does in verses 1 through 4, just some background, is he refers back to the Old Testament. And he talks about what the Old Testament teaches us about what we need, how we need a high priest. The Old Testament is very clear that we need a high priest, and the Old Testament is very clear that the Old Testament high priests were not sufficient for what we needed. They picture what we needed, but they were not the fulfillment of what we needed. But they do. the Old Testament does teach us that we need a high priest. Why? First reason is because sinful people need someone to represent them before God with a sacrifice for their sins. That's verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So the high priest is representing men to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So that last word in the verse, sins, that's the problem we all deal with. Okay, You heard us singing about what Jesus Christ has done for our sins. The problem we all face is sin. God created you. You're not here by accident. 
He created you so that you could have the joy of knowing him, beholding him, worshiping and loving him. That's why you're here. The tragedy, though, is that all of us, because of our pride, we've refused to bend the knee before God and receive all the joy that he has in knowing him, and we've turned our backs on him and settled for puny little temporary joys that we're trying to to have satisfy us. We've turned our backs on God and all of his glory because of our pride. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. I don't want to submit. And we pursued other little puny joys that don't do anything. That's what the Bible calls sin. We've all done it this morning, this last week. And God is so righteous and holy and pure that he can't come into contact with sin without judging it and punishing it. That's who our God is. And so here we are as sinners, and God is just and righteous, and so we can't come to God because of our sinfulness and his holiness. So, the Old Testament tells us how the priest helps us. Here's what happened in the Old Testament. If in the Old Testament you had sinned, here's what you would do. You would take a lamb from your flock, And you'd make an appointment with the priest. And you'd bring this lamb to the priest. And you would tell the priest what you've done. And the priest would say, all right, put your hand on the lamb. And you would put your hand on the lamb's head. And that would picture your guilt for your sin being transferred onto the lamb. Then the priest would give you a a knife and he would say, "Now, now kill the lamb. And you would kill the lamb. And then the priest would take that killed lamb, his body's blood, And he would come to the altar and represent you before God with this sacrifice for your sins. That's what the priest would would do. See, you couldn't do this yourself because of your sinfulness. You needed someone to represent you before God with a sacrifice for your, your sins. And that's what the priest would do. And so the Old Testament teaches us that we sinful people need someone to represent us to God with a sacrifice for our sins. We can't represent ourselves to God. We need someone to represent us to God. And that's one reason we need a high priest. And especially the high priest in the Day of Atonement would represent everyone. Remember, once a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, would bring the the sacrifice representing the, the people, God's people. So that's one reason. You cannot do this yourself. You need a high priest to represent you before God. Second reason. We need a high priest is because sinful people need a representative who sympathizes with their weaknesses. And the Old Testament priests pictured this. Look at verse 2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. If you're an Old Testament Israelite who loved God, you would have also loved the priest. Okay, because when you went to him with your lamb and your confession, he would respond to you, as verse 2 says, with gentleness. He would respond to you gently because he himself knows how strong sin can pull at you. He himself knows how unbelief can just cover your heart and dominate your spirit. He knows. He himself is beset with weaknesses. So when you would come to him, he wouldn't say, what are you doing? How would you do that? Are you kidding me? He would say, I understand. He would be gentle with you. He would care for you. 
So we need a high priest because sinful people need a representative who will be gentle and tender and sympathetic. Now the priest wouldn't have excused your sin. He would have known and you would have known too how serious it is because you have to kill the lamb after all because of your sin. But he would be sympathizing with you and caring for you and tender towards you. Third reason. Sinful people need a representative who is perfect and sinless. Let me explain this. The Old Testament pictured that we need priests, need a perfect high priest. The Old Testament pictured that, but the Old Testament also made it clear that the Old Testament priests were not the sufficient high priest that we needed because they've sinned. Look at verse 3. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. So see the problem? If the Old Testament, if if sinful people need someone to represent them before God, and if the Old Testament priests are also sinful people, then it's clear that while the Old Testament priests picture what we need, the Old Testament priests aren't the sufficient priests that we need. They picture what we do need, and they're pointing ahead, looking ahead. The priest is coming. The priest is coming. Okay? So we need a a priest who is perfect and sinless. Fourth, sinful people need a perfect high priest who's appointed by God. That's verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So in the Old Testament, no one could just volunteer. I'll be the priest today. Nobody could just kind of self-appoint themselves. They had to be appointed by God. The priest that was needed to represent us before God had to be appointed by God. Okay, so in verses 1 through 4, we've got four reasons that the Old Testament gives us for why we need a high priest. And so I want you to feel the quandary that we're in, because the Old Testament priests didn't cut it, okay? The Old Testament priests didn't do it. But think about this. We need... Because God is perfect, holy, righteous, just, he cannot come into contact with sin without judging it and punishing it. So we need someone who will represent us before God with a sacrifice for our sins. We need someone who, when we come to him, will be gentle and tender and say, yes, I'll represent you before God, even though you've sinned. We need someone who is himself sinless so that he can represent us before God for our sins. And we need somebody who's appointed by God. So all through the Old Testament, it's like, yes, we see the picture. Yes, we see what we need. Who's it going to be? We need a high priest. Here we are. We're sinful people. There's God there. We can't come. We need a high priest. That's our quandary. Are you feeling that? Now, the amazing news is Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And that's the point of verses 5 through 10. How is Jesus Christ the perfect high priest? First reason, he was appointed by God himself. That's verse 5. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So, crucial words there, appointed by him. The Old Testament taught, priest couldn't appoint himself. God the Father appointed Jesus. He was appointed by him who said, That's the first reason, because he was appointed by God. Second reason, as the Son of God, Jesus is fully God. 
Okay, look at verse 5. Read verse 5 again and notice the quote at the end of the verse. Verse verse, uh, 5 again. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, I get this quote from Psalm 2, verse 7. God is speaking, God the Father, to Jesus the Son. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Now, you could draw a wrong conclusion from Psalm 2.7. You could think that God the Father created Jesus the Son. But Jesus Christ is not a created being. Just like the Father, he has been from eternity past. He is fully God, just like God the Father is fully God. Jesus the Son has existed from eternity past. So what this verse is saying is that the Son has been begotten from the Father from eternity past. Eternally begotten is what the theologians say. But here's the point. The high priest, Jesus, he is the Son of God. Fully God himself. You know how the the doctrine of the Trinity works. It's not that God the Father is one-third of God, and God the Son is one-third of God, and God the Holy Spirit is one-third of God. There's mystery here, but the Father is himself fully God. All of All the fullness of God is in the Father. All the fullness of God is in the Son. All the fullness of God is in the Spirit. Mystery there. But Jesus Christ is God's Son, meaning He is fully God. Now, think about this. If you wanted someone to represent you before God, think of how powerful it would be to have God's own Son, fully God, representing you before God. That's representation. You feel that? And that's why Jesus is the perfect high priest. Third reason. It's because God appointed Jesus to be a priest forever, as pictured in Melchizedek. Old Testament priests, they would die, be replaced, die, be replaced. God appointed Jesus to be a priest forever. Look at verse 6. As he says also in another place, and this is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, what's this order of Melchizedek? We're going to be talking more about that in in, uh, chapter 7 of Hebrews. Melchizedek is mentioned twice in the Old Testament. First in Genesis 14, where he he meets up with Abraham. He's the priest of the living God, he's described as. And he's described as someone, he's a picture of someone, because there's no genealogies mentioned of him. So he pictures a priest who has no beginning and no end which is why he's, he's a picture of a different kind of priesthood than the other Old Testament priests. I mean, he himself had a beginning, obviously, but, but the way he's portrayed by Moses in Genesis 14, he pictures a priest who is a priest forever. That's Genesis 14. Then Psalm 110 is a prophecy that God is going to appoint the Messiah to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He'll be a priest forever, in other words. So Jesus is will be your representative forever. Okay? He will never die. He'll be your priest forever. So that's another reason Jesus is the perfect high priest, is because he will always be there from now forever to represent you before God. Fourth reason. Because Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses since he battled in prayer for God's help against sin. That's the point of verse 7. It's a powerful verse to ponder. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers 
and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now this verse clearly includes what Jesus experienced the night that he was betrayed as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember then? He is praying so earnestly that his sweat was like drops of blood. And he's crying out to God, strengthen me, help me. I want to be obedient to you. If possible, take this cup, but let your will be done. So he's he's battling in prayer for strength from God to keep strong on the path of obedience. So verse 7 includes Gethsemane, but, but I don't think it's limited just to Gethsemane. I think the point is this was in the days of his flesh. So this is all through his his life. He would battle in prayer for God to help him stay strong against sin. I just want to want to point this out. We'll see this more later in Hebrews. But see the reason that Jesus or the the, the resource that Jesus had to fight against sin wasn't his deity. He always was fully God. Never stopped being fully God. But the resource by which he obeyed was the power of the Holy Spirit accessed through prayer and meditation on God's word, just like you and I. He did not have some extra resource that enabled him to fight against sin. He came and he willingly chose not to use his divine power so that he would fight the fight of faith just like we would so that we could see, look at him, obedient, obedient, obedient. It can be done, church. You'll never face a temptation that you have to submit to. Now, we're never sinless in this life, but you never face a temptation that you don't have the resource by God's power through the Holy Spirit and the Word and prayer to overcome. Jesus shows us that, but the picture here is that the the reason Jesus was able to be sinless was because he fought through prayer for help from God. And did you notice that he, he prayed with loud cries and tears have you ever battled against sin for god's power with loud cries father help me help me loud cries and tears that's what jesus did that's what we should do okay but the point here is because jesus was sinless through his laboring in prayer with loud cries and tears That means that he experienced temptation to a depth that we've never experienced, right? Because if you, if if the temptation's going along and you and you you succumb to temptation, then you didn't experience it going on this far. Jesus experienced every temptation to the last ounce of strength that it had, and he conquered them all. Do you love that? But here's the point of that. Here's the point of that. He understands the battle against sin. He sympathizes with you when you battle against sin. He sympathizes with you when you come to him. And that's the fourth reason he can be our perfect high priest. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. I love Jesus. He never condones our sin. Look at me. Look at what the cross, look at what our sin cost him. He never condones it or excuses it. But he is sympathetic with us when we stumble. He says, I understand. Oh, it's hard. I understand. Come, let's deal with it. He's always sympathetic. Every time you turn to him, his demeanor is sympathy, 
tenderness, gentleness, because he's been here. He knows. I love that. Fifth reason is because Jesus' sinlessness means he can represent us before God. That's the point of verses 8 through 10. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What does that mean? Learned obedience. It's not that Jesus started off disobedient and then he he learned how to be obedient. Jesus was never disobedient. Okay, from eternity past, he was always perfectly sinless. But in eternity past, he had never experienced obedience costing so much suffering. He became a man so that he could experience that. And he experienced hideous, excruciating suffering, and he was flawlessly obedient through it all. And so he learned by experience obedience through suffering, perfectly sinlessly. Verse 9, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. So what does it mean that he was made perfect? It doesn't mean that he was imperfect and then became perfect. He was always perfectly God from eternity past, but he could not be our perfect high priest unless he'd become a man and experienced battling against sin like we do so that he can sympathize with us in our sins. And so through coming to earth, taking on human flesh, he became the perfect high priest. Being made perfect, he then became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the point here, verses 8 through 10, is that Jesus, different from all the Old Testament priests, was sinless. Sinless. So here is our perfect high priest. Okay, now, what does this mean for us? Here we've got verses 1 through 10. The point of these is to show us that Jesus is our perfect high priest, And verses 1 through 10 were written to encourage us to do chapter 4, verse 16. It's to encourage us so that we would then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, now I want to just make this real tangible. So I'm going to have Paul Walton come on up here. Paul offered to do this. Let's thank Paul. Let's welcome him. Come on up. He's going to act this out for me. Woohoo! You can come stand right here, Paul. Right here. So Paul, Paul is God, okay? All right, don't quote me, okay? But he's going to picture, picture God, and, and, and I'm over here. So, so again, and, and I'm, I'm representing all of us, okay? So here, here I am, and, and God is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly just, okay? And I have sinned against him. And so I, I can't come to God because God is so perfect, holy, and just that he can't come into contact with sin without judging it and punishing it. That's what he does. So I can't come to God. I'm separated from God by my sin. This is where I am. Okay, now, let's say that this last week I've been overwhelmed with guilt because of losing temper, losing my temper at my kids. I can't come to God and have that guilt be lifted off of me, right? Because I can't, I'm a sinful man. I would be judged and punished. I would be gone. He's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. Or this last week, I've I've got a decision to make. I need wisdom. I don't know what to do. The wisdom I need, God has the wisdom that I need. He has that wisdom. 
But I can't come to God myself because of my sinfulness. Or let's say that I just find myself this last week feeling lifeless spiritually. I'm, just, I'm not loving Jesus. I don't, I don't love his word. I'm not sensing his love. I'm not sensing his presence. God can take care of that for me. But I can't come to him on my own because of my sinfulness. So here I am. I'm separated from God. God is holy, perfect, just. He must punish sin. I'm a sinful man. We're stuck. But what did God do? Scott, come on up. God appointed a great, perfect high priest. Let's welcome the high priest. Stand right here. Okay. Okay, right here. Okay, good. All right. Now, I think you're looking better. Okay. All right. You're starting to smile. This is a good thing. Okay, now, Jesus is the perfect high priest. Okay? So, he was appointed by God. He lived sinlessly. He died on the cross so we could have a sacrifice for our sins. He battled with sin here perfectly, but he still battled, so he's sympathetic with us. So, he's our perfect high priest. So, how can I connect then with Jesus as my high priest? It's only one way. Not by trying to be good enough. Not by trying to, you know, impress him with my spirituality. The only way that I can be connected to Jesus as my high priest is by what? Faith. Ah, let's try that again. Come on, church. How do we connect with Jesus? By faith alone. So I, I look to Jesus and I, and I trust him. Okay, I, I trust him that, that through his death I can be forgiven. By his perfect sinlessness, I can be clothed and accepted by the Father. That he will represent me before God. I'm trusting him to to gain gain me forgiveness through his death. I'm trusting him that God through him will change my heart. That God through him will satisfy me. I'm putting my trust in him. And the moment I come to Jesus and put my trust in him, he sympathizes with me. Okay? Give me a hug. All right. Okay? See? See? He sympathizes. He understands. All right? Thanks, man. Okay? Okay, and, and then he says, he says, um, and I say, I say, I've got, uh, I'm overwhelmed with guilt, Jesus, because I lost my temper, or I'm saying, I've got this decision to make. I've, I, I need, I'm spiritually lifeless. And he, he, he sympathizes, and he says, let's go to the Father. I say, okay, so, so I'm connected to him by faith, and then we go to the Father. Okay? Here we are. All right, now, now we're before the Father. And, and he says, just imagine that he was saying this, he says, Father, I'm here representing Steve Fuller. Okay? And I'm here presenting my blood and my broken body, my shed blood and my broken body as payment for what he's done. And my perfect sinlessness is covering him because he's trusting me. Okay? Don't you just love that? Man, I love Jesus, Okay? And, see, now, now the father sees, this is Jesus, this is his son. And so the father's smiling. Okay? Okay? The father loves Jesus. Okay, and, and, and I'm, I'm in here, I'm connected to him, and so, so he loves me too. Group hug. Okay? All right? Okay? See how that works? And then, again, I'm connected by faith alone, and then the father will pour out upon me fresh assurance of forgiveness. I'm going to help you, Steve, with your temper. And I'm going to help you with your kids. You go talk to them, confess to them. I'm going to, I'm going to help you. Or he'll, he'll give me wisdom for the decision that I'm making. By the Holy Spirit, okay, that's okay. Or, or, or he'll, by the Holy Spirit, give me spiritual life. He'll change my heart so I see afresh the glory of Jesus and the wonder of his faithfulness. 
He'll pour his love into my heart. He'll set my heart on fire with love for brothers and sisters, with, with desire for evangelism. But see, the, the way that we can come to God is because we have our perfect high priest. And so the point is, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, right? Because of Jesus, his throne isn't the throne of wrath, it's the throne of grace. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace through our great high priest, and we will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I just thank these guys. Thank you. Good job. All right. So, so here's my encouragement to, to you. This next week, when needs arise, just like we did talk about here, and there's, again, there's dozens of them, don't try to solve it yourself. Don't try to deal with it yourself. Okay? Draw near with confidence. You, you start by putting your trust in Jesus. You're connected to him by faith. He will represent you before the Father. And he welcomes you. He sympathizes with you. He will represent you before the Father. He will offer his shed blood and his broken body as payment for your sin. Okay, you've already been forgiven, but he'll just give you fresh assurance. He says, Father, Jesus, he says, Father, Steve, are you clothed with my perfect righteousness? The Father will love Jesus. The Father will love you because you're connected to him by faith. And then he will give you mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. So Mercy Hill Church, this week, every time you have a need, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace through Jesus, your great high priest. Okay, let's stand together. Let's pray this over us. No more self-reliance, Father, in my heart or in our hearts. No more trying to be good enough to connect with you. No more taking things on, our, on ourselves that you want us to bring before you. No more of that, Father, I pray this week. That instead, I pray that we would see your Holy Son, Jesus, the perfect high priest that the Old Testament pictured, but the Old Testament didn't provide, but that you've provided, sending your own Son to be our, our perfect high priest, Help us this week to put our trust in Jesus, to connect with him afresh by faith, to come to your throne of grace, represented by Jesus, as Jesus offers his shed blood and broken body, as he, as he clothes us with his perfect sinlessness, as you love him, as you love us in him. Lord, let us be encouraged to bring every need that we have before you, because you promise, you have promised that when we do that, we will receive mercy, and we will find grace to help in time of need. So, Father, I pray that each of us would have sweet times this week, meeting you, seeking you through Jesus, the great high priest. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.